You guys, it's fun drive time again at the Libertarian Institute. That's libertarianinstitute.org slash donate. Our team is growing and getting better all the time. We just published Lori Calhoun's great new book, Questioning the COVID Company Line, Critical Thinking in Hysterical Times, a great collection of essays that she wrote for the Institute. And we've got five more books in the works coming soon, not including the one I'm working on now, Provoked, How America Started the New Cold War with Russia and the Catastrophe in Ukraine. The great Ted's, Snyder and Carpenter, now write for us. And we've just brought on our new outreach director, Quinn Triggs, to help us all get our stuff out there where people can see it. We run a tight ship here. Your money goes to pay our writers and podcasters to keep doing their work. Simple as that. But we need some. Especially you incredibly wealthy people out there listening. Help me pay my guys so we can continue to set the standard for libertarian thought for the next generation. And write it off on your taxes. That's libertarianinstitute.org slash donate. And thanks. All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there, and the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. All right, you guys, on the line, I got Patrick McFarlane, and he is our Justin Romando Fellow at the Libertarian Institute, and of course is the host of Liberty Weekly, and man, he's been doing all these great documentaries and all this stuff, and boy, has he got a good one coming up for you guys. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Hey, doing good, Scott. Thanks for having me back. Very happy to have you here and doing all your great work as you do. Um, so tell me, um, what is uh, what is this new project that you have? I guess by the time anybody hears this, it'll be brand new out on YouTube there. Yeah, so if if you want to find it, just go to like youtube.com forward slash at the at symbol vital descent. Um, and dissent is like D-I-S-S-E-N-T, you know, like a dissent in a court opinion or something. Oh, that's but, right. I forgot you changed the name of it. Actually, I knew you did, but I couldn't think of it. So then I thought maybe you changed it to Liberty Weekly. And then I thought, no, that's what it always was. And then I yeah. thought, well, I can't think of what the other name is now. So I'm just going to go with that. I'm sorry. Well, no, no worries, man. I mean, with all those changes, it's hard to keep track of. But um, no, this project I'm really excited about. It's been about a year and a half in the making. And, you know, things happened in my life, starting a business and having kids and all that stuff. It it just um, was delayed a bit, but it would not have been possible at all without my excellent producer. He goes by Mises Pieces. Um, and so it's you'll see he has production credits at the end. But essentially, I won't bury the lead. The project is um, it, it's releasing on Friday, July 21st, the same day as the new uh, Christopher Nolan Oppenheimer film. And that was actually kind of serendipity because I meant to release this a year ago, but this new film was coming out and it's like, well, I have no idea what the message of the new film is going to be. And from the trailers, it seems like it's really kind of saying, well, you know, Oppenheimer, he was this morally conflicted guy and he had to, you know, he just had the best intentions and 
this really weighed on his conscience about whether or not he should do this. Um, but I guess I'm, I'm positing what I think is the real story. And that's why it's called the truth about Oppenheimer. Great. Okay. So I got to already watch it and, uh, I have a lot of, well, I don't know a lot. I have a few follow-up questions, but I think I just want to give you the floor. If you want to basically take us through, don't do the whole thing, you know, because you want everybody to watch it, but give us a real good sense of who are these men that you're talking about and all of this stuff. If I read you right, a lot of the, what you talk about here precedes the Manhattan Project, right? Yeah. So the, this is actually, it's just part one of a docu-series that I'm, I'm working on, but I want, you know, I wanted to hit it while the iron was hot, but essentially what it is, it's not really even about the Manhattan Project as much as it is about a secret group of scientists that had a sub-program of the Manhattan Project. And this was called the Radiological Weapons Experimentation Group, which is a huge mouthful. Um, but really, this is a book written by Lisa Martino Taylor called Behind the Fog, documented this in detail about how the medical team was tasked by Oppenheimer and um, Leslie Groves to create a new weapons program that was different than the atom bomb program. And this was the development of offensive radiological weapons. And it was done under the auspices of, oh, hey, you know, there's this new, we're dealing with plutonium and radiation and we have no idea, and they didn't. They had no idea how dangerous it was. Um, so we're going to conduct this experimentation to see what its effects will be on our workers and on the public. That was the cover story. But essentially what they were doing, yeah, it'd be useful to get that data to help protect our people. But really what we're doing here, and this was referenced in a letter um, written by Oppenheimer himself, asking, uh, he said, quote, I think that we should not attempt a plan unless we can poison food sufficient to kill a half a million men, since there is not... Um, since there is not doubt that the actual number affected will, because of non-uniform distribution, be much smaller than this. So in these letters where they're talking about doing these human experimentations involving plutonium, he's talking about using it to kill and poison people um, offensively. And where it really ties into the Manhattan Project itself is, you know, there's this age-old adage, Scott, that you've confronted yourself in your work that, well, you know, we had to drop the atom bombs on those people because they never would have surrendered and we needed to, you know, destroy Japan's will to resist or else we were going to have to invade the island and lose a million people. Um, so therefore, all of it was justified. Well, I really try to combat that ends justify the means approach by saying, look, I mean, they're not people who have the best of intentions. I mean, Look at here, before the project started, they picked all these scientists who were involved in uh, destroying medical ethics and doing Nazi-style medical experimentation on people, subjecting them to, to radiation without expectation of medical benefit, uh, without informed consent. Uh, meanwhile, the United States, after the war, was prosecuting war criminals at Nuremberg for doing the same exact thing. So how can you sit there and tell me that these people had the best of intentions when they were engaging in this ridiculous uh, human experimentation, like injecting people with plutonium without their knowledge. Civilians. So I don't know where, where you want to take it from there, Scott. 
Well, so introduce us to some of the characters involved in the story here, other than Oppenheimer. And are they, from what you know, featured in the same uh, film, the Nolan film coming out? I mean, I would think that Dr. Lewis Hempelman would be. Um, I haven't looked through, like, you know, you can look on IMDb and see who's cast and what role. And I, I perused it a little bit, but I, I didn't see that these people were credited. Uh, but Hempel, Lewis Hempelman, he was the 29-year-old, Scott. I mean, I'm 29 right now. Could you imagine me running? I mean, I'm a lawyer and all that, but could you imagine me running the medical division at the, uh, the Manhattan Project? Um, and he was a 29-year-old tasked with running the medical division. Um, Robert Spencer Stone and uh, Wright Haskell Langham and Joseph G. Hamilton were some of the other figures that were involved with this. And a lot of it really in, revolved around the work that Robert S. Stone and Joseph Hamilton were doing at, at Berkeley. And Oppenheimer was also, you know, after Cambridge and all that stuff, uh, getting his his education, he accepted a Rockefeller scholarship, which should, you know, light up the interest of every John Bircher who's listening to this. Um, but he took a Rockefeller scholarship at, at UC Berkeley. Well, meanwhile, this Robert Stone and Joseph Hamilton um, and with, with Lewis Hempelman before the Manhattan Project were engaging in all kinds of uh, crazy out there stunts, as some of their colleagues called it, regarding subjecting people to radioactive materials. Um, I think the most disturbing study was one that Robert S. Stone conducted where he was taking people with visible malignant tumors and basically putting them in the beams of the cyclotron to try to irradiate these tumors in an effort, I, I guess, to find these biomedical applications for, for new radiation products um, and treatment of cancer. And I mean, you can see what we do nowadays with chemotherapy, this kind of being the genesis of it. But at the time, the risks were not understood at all, and there's no clear indication, and I actually read the research paper published on these, there's no clear indication that informed consent was obtained. And like within six months of these, uh, the, the experiment that Robert S. Stone did, half of his patients died. And this was, I, I don't remember the number offhand, but I think it was more than 100 people. So yeah, they did have you know malignant tumors, but he even admits in his own research that, you know, irradiating them had severe adverse effects and uh, resulted in the deaths of at least some of these folks. Hang on just one second for me. You guys know that I consider the Defend the Guard movement, led by the combat vets at BringOurTroopsHome.us and DefendTheGuard.us, to be the most important thing happening in American politics today. Simply put, this law would nullify the empire by preventing the state governors from handing their National Guard troops over to the president for foreign combat without an official declaration of war from the Congress. We've made great progress getting it out of committee and even passed the state Senate in Arizona. Help support Bring Our Troops Home and Defend the Guard at bringourtroopshome.us and defendtheguard.us. And their director of field operations, Diego Rivera, teaches a political leadership class that is the most effective training like it anywhere. He's still a soldier, only now his mission is peace. So heads up all you anti-war vets, we've got a mission for you. Find out all about their upcoming training sessions and help support at bringourtroopshome.us and defendtheguard.us. Hey, y'all, Scott Horton here for the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org. I'm the director. Then we've got Sheldon Richmond, 
Kyle Anzalone, Keith Knight, Lori Calhoun, Jim Bovard, Connor Freeman, Will Porter, Patrick McFarlane, and Tommy Salmons on our staff, writing and podcasting. And we've also got a ton of other great writers, too, like Walter Block, Richard Booth, Boss Spleet, Kim Robinson, and William Van Wagenen. We've published eight books so far, including my latest, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, and Keith Knight's new Voluntarist Handbook. And we've got quite a few more great ones coming soon. Check out libertarianinstitute.org books. It's a whole new era. We libertarians don't have the power, but we do have enough influence to try to lead the left and the right to make things right. Join us at libertarianinstitute.org. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Man, and then, so, do you cover, you have a whole section on the Manhattan Project itself and the development of the A-bomb, or you stick to all these kind of side experiments on people? I, I try to give the background to, um, you know, essentially the the veil of secrecy that, that went around the Manhattan Project, uh, talking about its development, at least enough to give the background and the context of where these took place. Uh, because a lot of people, when they think of the Manhattan Project, they think of Los Alamos itself. But actually, it was a, a, a nationwide coordinated uh, project with different facilities around the country. And I think one of one of the most um, I don't know, important parts about that was that this human experimentation was consciously decided by Oppenheimer to conduct the medical experimentation off site at Los Alamos to to kind of. It wasn't at Los Alamos. It was off-site of Los Alamos at these different affiliated universities. Um, and so like the University of Rochester, UC Berkeley, um, were, were two sites where these programs were coordinated through. Um, but I, I just thought it was really important, at least in part one, to give that background, but to say like, well, who the hell are these people? You know, why were they selected to be part of the Manhattan Project and what are their backgrounds? And I think that Going through, and Lisa Martino Taylor does this in her book Behind the Fog, goes through and really illustrates that these people who were selected weren't necessarily the most qualified people for the job. I mean, Joseph or um, Lewis Hempelman, he like I said, he was 29 years old. He wasn't a physicist really at all, and he only had I think two years experience working with radiation or radioactive substances at all before he was named to be the medical director of the Manhattan Project itself. And furthermore, Oppenheimer, who, you know, of course, is the subject of this new blockbuster film that IGN called a 10 out of 10 masterpiece. Um, he was someone who had a checkered past. I mean, he was diagnosed with profound schizophrenia. He was like collapsing to the floor and rolling around at the, the Cambridge uh, University labs. He tried to poison his professor with cyanide. He tried to strangle his best friend. Um, he was a communist. And all these other doctors, like I document in, in the, the show, they had all engaged in human experimentation with, with um, radioactive substances. 
Man, it's just amazing. Well, so I kind of want to keep asking you things, but then I sort of just want to leave it like a nice teaser for people and get them interested to watch the series. So maybe we should stop the interview here and then maybe we'll follow up. How many episodes is it going to be? Three or four, you said? Oh, I don't know. Probably three or four. Yeah, it, because it's it's there's so much here, Scott. I mean, there really is. And and I I can I, tell. I mean, this first yeah. episode is so thorough. It's incredible, man. You're writing a book with this thing. Yeah, well, thank you. And and I, I have to give credit to references that I use, though. Uh, the Plutonium Files by Eileen Wilson and Lisa Martin, Martino Taylor, her Behind the Fog book. And there's another book called The Atomic Age that I cited heavily. Um, but really the story, and I'll, I'll get into this in later parts, but Eileen Wilson doing some real investigative journalism came across this. I, I can't remember exactly when she came across this, but her expose, the plutonium files, she went and found the people after the fact that the Manhattan Project had injected with plutonium and documented their illnesses and published a huge expose piece on it. And in fact, the the Clinton administration conducted it like a, a congressional inquest into this. And, and people just have no idea that this happened or that it existed. Mm -hmm. Well, and this kind of thing went on way into the 50s and 60s too, right? At yeah, least. yeah. Yeah, because see, in fact, thinking back on it, this is some of the first stuff, well, I don't know, some of, going back to when I was younger anyway, that I was exposed to this kind of thing that, you know, sort of like when I first learned about how like Wall Street and the rise of Hitler and that kind of thing, is in like all the army experiments on Americans, including germ weapons and radioactive stuff and whatever, after the beginning of the Cold War, you know, post-World War II era there. And I remember Bill Curtis on investigative reports on A&E had done some really good stuff on this. And I'd read, I don't know, whatever about it now. But uh, that goes to show you who these people are and what they really think of us. You know, I don't want to cite the numbers. I don't know. But there have been studies that show, you know, whatever, however many thousands or more people who got cancer from all of the atomic testing that our government did in Nevada. You know, I mean, nuking the Marshall Islands out there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean is pretty bad and led to a lot of fallout, too. But they nuked Nevada hundreds of times with A-bombs. And, you know, people downwind from that got cancer. So this is our security force building up this nuclear stockpile in the name of staving off the Soviet Union as a threat to the American people. They're literally killing people in very large numbers. I think it really was the millions over the decades who were said to have died premature deaths of cancer from that. And um, here I said I wasn't going to cite numbers, but that's the way I remember it. But anyway, it was certainly way too many. And, you know, talking about giving radioactive oatmeal to retarded kids or whatever, that's the ultimate. I don't know specific footnotes on that, but I remember something like that. Putting germs... In um, in army cars and driving around New York City with a fake tailpipe, yeah, you know, uh, and then shooting germs out the back to see how effective it would be and infecting. They're like, well, we got to test this thing, so they tested on New York City, this city they're supposedly trying to protect from something like that happening. And they're like, well, we'll just try it on them. <laughs> you know, who's the bad guy then? You know, whole thing is bananas, man. Yeah, it's. It's crazy. I mean, the, there was um, the way I really discovered this 
And what I bought Lisa Martino, Martino Taylor's book for was to do research into the zinc cadmium sulfide um, experiments done by the U.S. Army Chemical Corps. And I think, yeah, this was the mid-50s through the late 1960s. The U.S. Army Chemical Corps um, drove through a bunch of cities in North America spraying zinc cadmium sulfide out the back with huge blowers um, to do like a, a biological agent test. And it, it's just insane, I mean, that they would do this um, in trying to, you know, create a situation. It was a tracer experiment but try to find comparable cities to in the U.S. to Russia, um, to, you know, USSR, cities in the USSR. And a lot of people were claimed to be sickened and, and given cancer by this, but there was a lawsuit that happened, uh, but of course it was thrown out um, under sovereign immunity, where like you, mm -hmm. you can't sue the U.S. government unless they consent, the sovereign, you know, sovereign government. Yep. Even though it says right there in the First Amendment that you can petition for a redress of grievances. They go, no, that just means you sign your name on a piece of paper begging, please. When that's not what that meant when they ratified that. But anyway, they do whatever they want. Uh, another one was dropping germs over the San Francisco Bay. Something or other Marcesans, some bacteria. And uh, how, like, decades later you had... Infections of that bacteria in the Bay Area still higher than anywhere else. You know, I don't know how long it lasted, but for many years after. I wrote about this too. Yeah, the um, they sprayed the coast of Norfolk, Virginia, and San Francisco with two types of bacteria. It was uh, Bacillus glob globigi and Serratia marcensis. Um, but now it's considered like the first one is considered to be a pathogen that causes food poisoning. Um, and people were actually admitted to the hospital when this took place. Or in 1949, the Army Chemical Corps secretly released um, bacteria into the Pentagon's air conditioning system to see how it spread through the building. Um, anyways, yeah, there, there's so much of this, Scott. I mean, it's just, you got content for days. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I think it's just great the way you're putting out all these great documentaries and this kind of thing. And uh, this one's really great. And let me make sure I pull it up and get the title right. I have it here. The Truth About Oppenheimer, Part 1. And, you know, I noticed that at the Pirate Bay, there's a documentary about him that's trending extremely high on the list just because people mistakenly think that it's the movie. And so, um, but it just goes to show that there's a lot of interest in this. So I do hope that, uh, as you said, this is obviously you've been working on this for a long time. Um, and it's a serendipitous thing, the timing here, but I think that's great. And I hope it really gets a lot of eyeballs. You deserve it. And it's great. And everybody check out vital descent at the libertarian Institute. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. Thanks Scott. The Scott Horton show anti-war radio can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA APS radio.com antiwar.com scotthorton.org and libertarianinstitute.org.